Welcome to Global Leader Radio. I am Lee Cantor, and I'm joined in the studio with our host, Mr. Alvin Miles. How are you doing, Alvin? I'm doing great, Lee. How are you? I am doing well. And before we get going, I want everybody to know that you're the Director of Business Development and Admissions at Kennesaw State University's Executive MBA program. How's that program working? It is fantastic. As you know, it is an award-winning program, and our next program starts on September the 4th. Uh, so as we tee the day up, just want to remind you that you're on Global Leader Radio, and we're here to be discussing ideas that matter with people who care. And so we've got two exciting gentlemen here with us today. First is uh, Ryan Jenkins. Hello, Ryan. Good afternoon. Great. And uh, secondarily, we have Mr. Leroy Carson. Mr. Leroy Carson is a social entrepreneur and the founder and uh, leader of Success Looks Like Me. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic. So, Leroy, tell us a little bit about uh, your program after you tell us a little bit about you. Whoa. Well, I'm a graduate from the Kennesaw State University Executive MBA program, a proud graduate, very involved in several boards and sort of keep uh, energy flowing towards the program. Um, most that I've learned about leadership I learned at Kennesaw. So I applied in uh, several businesses that I have. But uh, my social entrepreneurial effort is uh, focused towards um, Success Looks Like Me, which is a entrepreneurial, uh, or excuse me, is a, a program geared towards uh, youth at risk that are in need of some additional exposure. We've had a great opportunity to expose them to some of Atlanta's top leaders, and we'll talk a little bit about that today during your program. Absolutely. That's why we, we have you here. Uh, when we look at Global Leader Radio, what we wanted to do, again, is discussing those ideas and those concepts that really can help us to inform our leader, leadership community and our learning community, uh, because there's lots of people that are tuning in today because they want to hear both of you. So, Leroy, when you, uh, when you put this whole idea together, how, how, how did it start? Well, uh, I am uh, a young man uh, with a young, uh, young son, and uh, had an opportunity to uh, speak to some of the kids at his school. And I found that there's a need for a certain uh, uh, population of the youth in, uh, in elementary school to have a greater sense of exposure to successful people, business folks. So joking one day with one of the teachers at the school, I said, man, what would happen if I brought in everyone that I knew that was successful? And they got real excited, started talking to the principal a little bit. And uh, when the idea really took off, I met with a gentleman named Dr. Dennis Kembro, well-known author, scholar, uh, has tons of books out there. And he, if anyone knows about success, Dr. Dennis Kembro does. But he encouraged me uh, during a one-on-one -on -one session I had with him to uh, start to formulate this into more of a program-type idea and uh, see if the school will, will take it. So uh, uh, by chance, I called the principal, had a brief conversation. She shot my proposal to the school board. And next thing you know, two weeks later, I'm in with Chesley McNeil from 11 Alive. And wow. Just kept progressing from there. Okay. So uh, some of the leaders in the lineup include Chesley? Chesley McNeil. Um, we've had uh, Judge Walker, uh, the top judge of Clayton County. We've had... Um, uh, Stanley Knowles, the owner of the African American Rodeo. We've had uh, the chief diversity officer for Coca-Cola. We've had uh, the list goes on and on. We've had probably about 45 top leaders in the city of Atlanta. It's been a who's who. And I continue to get phone calls of people that would like to uh, join and participate in the program. Yeah, pretty impressive. So, um, so how long have you been doing this now? 
Uh, it's happened fast. It's happened fast. <laughs> it's probably less than 24 months old. Wow. But we've uh, grown to two schools. We're doing now boys and girls. And uh, just the other day, a good friend of mine from Kennesaw State University, hint, hint, you, um, <laughs> introduced me to the principal of uh, Roswell High School. So we will be at Roswell High School this coming school year, in addition to being at Dunwoody Springs Elementary School and Ison Springs Elementary School. And that is exciting, Lee. Yeah. Now, is there any difference in the way that um, the boys and the girls kind of see these leaders? Do they, um, you know, do they take to them differently? Well, you know, it's sort of, uh, th- that's a great question. Uh, we started off with just the young boys. Uh, fifth grade was the targeted group that we mm-hmm. targeted. And uh, we wanted to do what I call a take-off-your-tie session. So right. someone that is uh, as high up in the company as a, a CEO or president taking off his tie and talking about, I started out just like, like you. Like you, right, because they were in fifth grade once. Yeah, and y- you see the gotcha, get it factors when they mention they grew up in Decatur or they grew up in Chicago or they grew up in Long Island, New York, right. and started to share similar stories. The kids, you could see it, the, right. the connection happened in their They eyes. were on the bus. They were, you know, they had the teacher that was mean to them. They had the same issues. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's uh, it's been interesting, and uh, so how does a girl deal with it? Like, how, are you bringing in girl leaders? You know, it's it's, it's been um, interesting. Last year was the first year with female leaders, um, and uh, some amazing stories in this city. Very amazing stories in this city um, of uh, success. Uh, we've had a lot of successful leaders. Um, that, uh, like Judge Walker, who was uh, the first African-American judge in Clayton County at the age of 34, and wow. she's now 49 and, uh, excuse me, 39. <laughs> Don't let me get beat up on that. <laughs> oh you won't be happy about 39, that. 39, 39, <laughs> and she's now um, head of the magistrate court of, uh, of Clayton County. So some phenomenal stories, and uh, the the ladies have brought some real dynamic stories to the table of accomplishments at a young age, mm-hmm. so... Um, so fantastic. So some fantastic stories uh, from on the business side. Certainly, you talked a little bit about what you've done to get it to this point. Sure. And uh, you've talked a little bit about what um, what has happened inside the program. Sure. Uh, how about some of the the other side, the um, the demand side, as it were, the students themselves? Have you noticed some differences? How has your program, Success Look Like Me, really helped them? We we've had some um, issues come up as. Uh, and issues, not not good issues, mm-hmm. um, issues come up uh, from the students when they hear these stories about, you know, I was the smartest kid in class and people would tease me. I, you know, um, was the shortest kid and this happened. Um, I used to get that too, by the way. Not, shortest? Not the yeah. shortest. <laughs> not the shortest. <laughs> but, but, but the smartest maybe. But... Uh, but those stories have really manifested themselves out there. You see the students being more um, assertive in their classrooms. Um, when you talk to the teachers, they say, wow, what did you say to Johnny or Jane? Because they're now really putting themselves out there knowing that they too could accomplish those successes that, that happened from literally the same point that they're at right now. So that, that, that's the beauty of the program. Now, has there been any follow-up with the leaders? Or do they allow the kids to kind of you know, stay connected with them, or is this kind of a one-shot deal? Well, uh, I'm very aware that I'm in the early phases of the program. So uh, we've had, you know, everyone wants to understand, so tell me the what, what happened to them at the end. Well, right. it's only about two years old. Right. So we've had probably— One of them's president, you know. You don't have the good— n- n- not, not yet. yet. <laughs> not yet. We haven't had a president that uh, what, would be seventh grade by now. Right. So we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. 
But we've had the, the good news is that the word has gotten out, um, and we have a lot of folks wanting to partner with us. Uh, I've gotten a call from the Scholarship Academy that wants to start tracking some of these kids now, mm-hmm. which is exciting for the kids. Uh, we've had some of the um, uh, mentors that have come in talk about programs that they may have at their companies that these uh, kids may participate in at a little bit older age. So the end goal is to keep the mentors involved with what's going on with the students, and later on in their um, high school years, we'll bring them back for a bigger session to sort of say, hey, what's happened since then? And sort of look at th- that as an opportunity to meet with right. uh, with folks that they normally wouldn't have access to. May even wind up being some recommendations for college. So imagine being a success looks like me person that went through in fifth grade. We've tracked you, and you're now in 10th or 11th grade, and you're applying to a college. Uh, that one of our mentors have gone to. You have now an opportunity to interview with someone that's a senior member of Coca-Cola or Delta Airlines, and they now can write a recommendation to their Alamada because you're interested in going. I think that's going to go a long way. So that's that's the ultimate goal with the program. We're, we're, we're trying to put more programming around uh, the uh, actual structured mentor sessions. Yes, and I, and I know that's going to be a daunting task when you look at this whole operation of success looks like me and the fact that you're actually stepping into it as a, as a gentleman with a dream who's taking it to the next level, so that's important. Absolutely. And so the question I really wanted to find out from you is this has to be a learning experience for the parents as well, correct? It is, it is, it is. Um, uh, I, I think I may have shared with you earlier, Alvin, I'll share once again. Uh, I, I had someone from New York Life, uh, an executive that I was trying to get to speak, and he said, um, what are you doing for the parents? So I was like, well, you know, I, I got to confine my, you know, my Limited scope. Limited scope. But he made a very good point. How will you have successful children if you don't touch the people that closest influence them? So last year we started a session called It Starts Now. It Starts Now. It's the orientation for the parents. And it's more than telling them who we have come in to speak to you. But it's now talking about how are you preparing your kid for college? Fifth grade is the time to start um, preparing for saving for college, or beyond fifth grade, actually. But uh, uh, this uh, financial expert, and we'll bring in folks from Morgan Stanley, which we have in the past, and, and other uh, financial institutions. But really, it's an opportunity to work with the parents and get them in the mindset that today is the day to get started to prepare for what you need to do for college financially. Got it. Got it. You know, interestingly enough, uh, you and I have had several conversations, uh, but uh, one that was most impactful for me personally was the one we had last Friday when we had the introduction. Yep. And so during that conversation was really where I understood where success looks like me was born from a research perspective. Uh-huh. So can you enlighten us on what the number five, what's so significant about the number five? Yeah, D- Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, to his credit, and uh, the two principals, um, Dr., uh, excuse me, uh, Ivy Freeman, Miss Ivy Freeman, which is the principal of um, Dunwoody Springs Elementary, and uh, Sarah White, who's the principal of um, Ison Springs Elementary. Fifth grade was what I was encouraged by Dr. Dennis Kimbrough to, to focus at. Dr. Dennis Kimbrough uh, is most well-known for a book he wrote uh, about 25 years ago called Think and Grow Rich, A Black Alternative. And uh, he uh, offers a lot of great information there about um, how to think financially and achieve those goals. He now has a book out called The Have and Have Nots, What Black Millionaires Know That that Others Don't. And uh, names like Bob Johnson, Oprah Winfrey, um, Ego, Jay-Z, 
uh, folks that have a, a few dollars in the bank account mm-hmm. are in there. So he's, uh, needless to say, he's, a, he's an expert on, on success. And he uh, encouraged me when I met him to not only look at the program but to focus on fifth grade because all his research has shown that something happens around fifth grade with all these successful folks that actually alters their cost, their, their, um, the course that they're taking in life. So uh, with that, I went back, shared it with the principal at Dunwoody Springs Elementary School, shared it with the other principal that I'm with, and that's where we target, fifth grade. So um, anecdotally, I don't have uh, research, my own research to support this, but I would think that part of that challenge, fifth grade to sixth grade, is going into middle school. So we have an opportunity uh, to impact kids before they make a a change and adjustment. The exciting thing about... uh, the opportunity at uh, Roswell High School is that we will have the same opportunity because we will be um, going after kids that are most of in need in the ninth grade, which again is the transition from middle school into high school. So um, I'm looking forward to coming on the program a couple years from now and sharing with you some data that we have from uh, the students that are being touched at those two touch points, coming going into middle school and coming out of middle school. Understood. So if, I, if I've got it correctly, what you're saying is that success looks like me. It's working so well because it does touch with students. It actually gets them involved at times when they need it the most. Uh, I, I, I have a story, and I'll, I'll leave the, the name out of it because I wasn't authorized to share this story, but everyone will get the concept. So of the schools that I've been at where it, uh, the story that was most impactful to me was um, uh, as I was getting prepared to set up for a session of success, looks like me, one parent uh, came to me and just thanked me. And she was in tears, and, and, uh, uh, and uh, her, and her and the husband were, were pretty excited that their student was selected to be in the program. And uh, what they shared with me is that their kid is now in the fifth grade um, a lot smarter than they were at that, that point. And they didn't know what they needed to give to that kid to encourage them to the next level. And I remember talking with the parent after the program, after they've seen Again, success looks like me. People that look like them that were highly successful that started at the same point that they were, um, how encouraged that kid was on what they need to do that the parent couldn't give to them. Got it. And uh, for me, that's what success looks like me is about, that opportunity to stretch beyond the resources that you have available to you to see that I could be successful and successful successes within all of us. And these are our future global leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So when I think about you now, so now you, you are the founder, you're the social entrepreneur. So tell me a little bit about how has success looked like me helped to inform your leadership? Wow. Good question. Good question. You know, you can't help uh, but be changed by being by positive influences. When you have 41 global leaders, um, uh, John Rivers uh, was one of our uh, speakers. He's an architect. and He's more than just an architect. Someone called me one day and said, hey, do you need an architect? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So they, they gave me little information on who John Rivers, who's one of our speakers, is. Well, John Rivers happens to be one of the original architects on Atlanta Jackson Hartsville Airport. Hmm. He happened to have uh, built the prep where uh, Dr. Martin Luther King is housed, and he has global projects all over the world. And uh, uh, while he has all those great accomplishments, his greatest story they had to tell the kids was about how he was discriminated against 
as a little leaguer hmm. in the 50s. And that story is so resounding of how they really were able to accomplish beyond the set of circumstances that they were, they were in, that how you have to look beyond your resources, that it went beyond encouraging me or encouraging the kids, encouraging me. Like, wow. So he talked about really looking beyond your resources, and he used that sort of as the model of, uh, of an example of how he went beyond the resources that were available to him. Well, fantastic. So I also happen to know that you have a uh, fantastic son named Ethan. Ethan, yes. So when you look at success looks like me, are there some some tips and thoughts that you hear? Because he's not in the room when, when they share these ideas. So, he's not. You know, what, what have you taken back? Can you give us perhaps a story or uh, two? Alvin James is a serial entrepreneur. Um, he's one of the folks I've had in the room. And he talked about uh, the spirit of entrepreneurship starts young. Um, so... One of the things that I'm trying to do with Ethan now is I'm trying to give Ethan that exposure. So I started last year, started letting him help me set up the room and uh, interact with the speakers and, and do things towards the program. So the lesson I'm hoping to teach Ethan is how to run his own business. Excellent. Day. And uh, I'm getting him more involved in what dad is doing and you know the interesting thing about this uh being a social entrepreneur you you're doing everything for a reason mm -hmm. uh, a reason that's beyond profits and this gives me an opportunity to show ethan reason-based thinking you do things for this reason so um it, it's been an exciting time for me and him now he's only seven so I'm going to give him to nine <laughs> to be a full-fledged money-making entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> or else you might have to have more kids. <laughs> but, and his show will start at age 10 there you go. for the producers of this show. <laughs> but uh, but we, we're going we're gonna to give him a year or two to, to, to develop to that level. But, um, but that's been sort of the greatest joy for it. And also Ethan have an opportunity to meet these folks as well. Uh, one of the programs I do is at a school, so I do have him come around and shake the hand. He doesn't quite get it yet, but right. he gets the setting up and understand that I'm I'm in business. So if you ask him, he says, I'm in business. Now, that's important. That's important. When he leaves class and the kids ask him where he's going, he says, I have a business to run. I love that. <laughs> so does he carry a little briefcase with him? Uh, you know well? what? He's actually trying to do that. <laughs> he's actually trying to do that, so we're working on it. So when you look at success looks like me and you think about the future, mm -hmm. what does the future look like? Success Looks Like Me is a program that we are slowly growing. I've had several offers already to uh, roll it out countywide in a couple of counties, and I've said no. Um, the reason being is we want to get it right. When we perfect the program, um, I imagine that we will grow it county by county and then out of the state. And the whole purpose, again, is to show folks that don't normally get to see people that look like them being successful, that success does what looks like them. Good question. So what does success look like me need most today? Uh, success looks like me could always use resources, no doubt about it. So tell us about that. Uh, Leroy Carson is, uh, uh, is spending uh, all his money to, mm -hmm. to run the program right now. It's not expensive to run, but we buy pe it's an after-school program. So let me start there. It's an after-school program. It runs every other week. And uh, we have the kids for uh, an hour, hour and a half. Um, none of the speakers charge, so everyone comes in and does it because they really want to give back to the kids. But where the opportunities come in, I talk about all the time with the two principals. 
the kids that need it most have transportation issues. So just getting a school bus would be a cost that we'd somehow like to figure out how to, to pay for. Um, I've been treating them, and I don't know how we'll do it beyond three schools, but we'll figure it out. Um, been treating them to pizza every day after, after when we have the program. So uh, after school snacks. So it's things like that. Uh, those kinds of things are the, the resources that we need. Um, journals that they um, I require that they all take notes, but okay. they're doing in notebooks from school. I'd like to have a customized notebook that goes out. So it's those Good. kinds okay. of little things that would be helpful to, to move the program forward, particularly as it grows. Um, the principal at Roswell High School really talked about a tremendous need that we'll be doing a customized program for them. That'll be once a month. We'll be bringing in panels of highly successful folks to talk about unique things that these kids might be interested in. Uh, one that comes to mind, I have a lot of retired professional athletes come to me and say they'd like to speak. And while we'd love for them to speak, we're trying to show them people that they don't normally see. So they see these folks on TV. So one day talking to, with uh, David Jones, a retired football player, I, I came up with an idea and these are the kind of panels we'd have. This is the only purpose of sharing this is um, what if we did a panel called The Truth About Sports, where we'd have two athletes and then we'd have a lawyer, an agent, and a general manager, maybe the general manager of the Braves, and that the focus of it would be the two athletes pointing to these other folks and talking about they are the true sports professionals that you never hear about. Right. They are the true sports sports professionals that make a lot of money. They're the true sports professionals that make a long careers with that. So um, that panel has been uh, relatively easy to pull together, but we're thinking about pulling together panels like that that will resonate more with high school students that will get it. Mm. Very good. So um, I'll tell you that uh, it's always been a pleasure to sit down and chat with you one-on-one. Certainly we've been, again, we go a uh, long way back. We do, we do. And, uh, and we'll continue to move forward even more. So, again, thank you for your time. Certainly, if you can stay with us, we'd love you to sit through the next segment. If I you... will, I will. Okay, fantastic. We've got to have you and on And thank again. you for the invite. Absolutely, absolutely. So, as we pivot a little bit over to our gentleman on the right, that's the beauty of radio. It doesn't really matter where you're facing. Right is always good. <laughs> right? We've got Ryan Jenkins with us, and he's a next-generation catalyst. And his uh, role is to bring clarity to the longest generation on the planet, the millennials. So, Ryan, how are you? Doing great. Well, fantastic. Leroy, it's great to learn about your business, and I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you. Good, thank good. You. I first uh, ran into you over Atlanta's best and brightest companies to work for back on the 21st of June. Yeah. And I was pretty impressed as you were a keynote speaker uh, around generations in the workplace. And uh, the sub-caption was pretty funny, too, uh, and very impactful. Can we all work together? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that experience and a little bit about you as you walk through this. Yeah, 101 Best and Brightest was, was a great event to be a part of, met some outstanding individuals such as yourself. But uh, we got a lot of good feedback. I always do this live, and you saw it, Alvin, at the end, a live where people can text or tweet in if they gained an idea that they can act, go put into action tomorrow. And I think 78% said that they, they got a nugget. Yeah. So that's always rewarding, and it's just – we're trying to put some context around the millennials because mm -hmm. a lot of people are trying to put them in boxes and kind of wait your turn. And I try to expose that each generation has unique strengths. Correct. And how do organizations, how do leaders tap into that to get the most out of their team or their organization? Okay. So when you think about what you've heard thus far, Leroy has made a uh, stunning presentation to mm -hmm. say that uh, we need to be focusing on those fifth graders. Yeah. And the ninth graders are not far behind. 
Yeah, I mean, th- there's a uh, there, there's some studies out there, and actually or- organizations are doing this where they're actually penetrating that young to essentially recruit, right? I mean, retaining talented top talent is very difficult these days. So they want to get in early and essentially essentially build the brand and build the brand awareness around those young folks. And they do things like offering internships, getting them overseas, and doing things, and they keep track of them as they go and so essentially what we're talking about today is 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 empowering leadership development well they're doing that on the side as the kids are going through school and so obviously it's like any mentorship or or relationship the the more you frequently you meet with them see them the more you gain you're attracted to them so it's it's a great strategy and it does have to start young and especially we're looking at this is going to be the most educated generation of all time wow if not already and so a lot, of, a lot of young folks need to start diversifying. They need to find those key things that they can put a pin in the ground and say, this is who I am, this is what I've done to really rise above that sea of talented people. So it's going to take a lot of intentionality from the millennials and the, even the younger generations than that, but it's also going to take a lot of intentionality from organizations to start penetrating, filtering through, and plucking that ripe talent. Well, good. You know, uh, interestingly enough, did I just hear you say that this will be the most educated? Yes. Wow, that's impressive. So is that because their parents, the boomers like me, were so much smarter and that we were able to pass those genes along? That's right. That's part of it. That's part of it. <laughs> so what's the other part? Is, is it the fact that the proliferation of, of information is out there and they can get at it with technology? No, that's just statistics around actually how many people are, have gone through high school and college. Got it. So it's okay. just numbers. I mean, if you tested them, are they actually smarter? Who knows? Okay. But they have – so a lot of times, right, a, a – college degree was was sought after a while back and now it's just kind of ho-hum okay so pe- table I, stakes th- that's right so, so now so, you have to have that emba yeah th- there you go that's yeah right yeah so interestingly enough um you know it, it, i've heard it said over and over again that you can't speak what you don't know mm-hmm. and something tells me you know a lot about millennials because you are one that's right that's so right tell us a little bit about that yeah, I mean, a lot of what I speak on and consult on is from personal experience. I've done a lot of studying, and we've we've done a lot of research with a lot of local organizations in Atlanta as well. But a lot of it came from from me when I when I went in the workforce. I was excited, like most millennials. I'm optimistic, got a lot of energy, got into the workforce, and I kind of had this buyer's remorse hmm. for my career, right? Because I was sold something that wasn't what what it ended up being. Okay. And, and, it, and there was a lot of friction, a lot of tension, and I was just thinking, oh, maybe I just need to wait it out. And, and the more and more I saw new folks and young millennials coming in the workforce, they were experiencing the same thing. And so a lot of really ripe talent, good energy was being squandered under the thumb of stale leadership and stale organizations. Hmm. So I'm trying to use millennials not as the flag that they're the best and they're going to rule all because that's not necessarily the case. I just like to use them as an indicator for change and innovation. I like, I like to paint the picture for people of the wave coming so it kind of puts a little spark under them so they can start changing and, and tweaking their organization or whatever it may be to start moving forward because things are changing so rapidly. Well, fantastic. You know, you got to love the energy in the room, right, Lee? Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic stuff. So, you know, Global Leader Radio is all about identifying, attracting, cultivating, retaining. Mm-hmm top talent right so with that in mind you what you're saying is it just goes hand in hand with what we're looking to do so mm-hmm. what do you think companies need to understand about millennials that perhaps they may not know yeah gosh there are a lot of things but i think most importantly is that they they do want mentorship and they do want leadership development and leadership growth 
what a lot of time is is the, the, the infrastructure that they come into isn't equipped to give it to them, right? They're very high-paced, high-tech. That sometimes they go into these environments and there's the Internet at home is faster than the Internet at work. Interesting. They have more devices at home and not as many at work. So there's this they, – they kind of have to divorce their personality when they go into work which is not a good thing, right? You want passionate people who are themselves in the workplace to get the most out of them. So you, you, you've got to start kind of understanding that. And I think first and foremost, a good tactic to kind of move forward with this is, is ask your millennials. Ask your current millennials in your workforce, what's working, what's not, what can we start implementing, what needs changed? And I think the other t- the thing that we see time and time again is we look at organizations that are doing it right. They're recruiting, retaining, and rewarding the millennials uh, the most efficiently. Our organizations, back to Leroy and his organization, it's all about mentorship. Mm-hmm. So it's all about getting the millennials in, having them partner with maybe a Gen X, someone kind of near their age, and keep that men- mentorship intact all the way through their potentially their whole career. And the person that's mentoring that person, that person has a mentor, and so on and so forth. So there's this tight knit of just people that want to help you grow and help you to move forward. And that's that's what they want. The, the, the problem is is... is a lot, people think, oh, millennials, they don't want to learn. They just want to go off and do their own thing. This is the generation that has grown up with answers at their fingertips, right? They can go to Google and get instant, instant answers. So what they're really longing for is someone to come alongside them and teach the stuff that they can't get on Google, whether that be how to successfully negotiate a contract or how do you penetrate certain accounts in certain industries or whatever it may be. And, and give them that, those resources and, and make sure that they're, they're kind of set up for success and then there's make sure you get them um, advancements and and tracking them leaderboards right you kind of kind of leverage the human behavior of of, com- of competitors right you put a leaderboard up and and you kind of rank yourself well that just kind of starts making you want to do better or, or rise above right so leverage those those things as well so they do like competition yeah in other words okay well yeah. very good well because we've got a millennial here with us <laughs> and, and one of Where? the first and one of Where? the first things you said was mm-hmm. to ask for input my next question to you is how do millennials define success yeah they want, first and foremost meaningful work okay. a majority of them want meaningful work and and a lot of people kind of scoff at that or they think they're too naive and and i, I just i don't think that's the right approach because why would you want to squander I mean, a lot of what, what baby boomers have instilled in the millennials is confidence and is the, the self-belief that they, they can do great things. So I don't understand why um, some boomers and some organizations are trying to, I guess, negate that confidence they've instilled in that generation. So I think it's, rather than using it as a hindrance, try to leverage that, that uh, optimism for, for meaningful work. And the other big thing around it, too, uh, Alvin, is, is communicating the why. And I think a lot of organizations miss this target an example I'll give it to you, I was uh, working with a, an organization that, that they, it was a basically a call center, and they were putting together a program to teach their millennials how to, you know, if a frustrated customer calls on the phone, how to kind of damage control and save the sale and, and get to the root of the problem. And they were first taking a crack at it of just how do, we, how do we get better numbers out of them? Like how do we just squeeze every productivity ounce of, this, of these young people because they don't want to work, whatever. And I'm thinking, all right, well, time out. Let's back up a little bit. Let's take a big picture here. Let's look at how can you don't don't think of it as just numbers, numbers, numbers. We need all this productivity out of you, but how can you equip this generation with something bigger? And it would and what I what we were coaching them with was not it's not just damage control of the sale, but this is this, you're teaching them the art of persuasion. Got it. So it's something that that they could take that that tool, that training that they had, 
and use that in life. So it wasn't just confined to their job. So it was something bigger. So if you can equip the millennials with transferable skills, okay. something that they can learn and, and make their own and then move to a different position or a different industry and, and continue to use that skill, that's valuable. So, again, we talk about know the why. So really, and I think this is great because for, for leaders or organizations, really to communicate the why, that forces you to get intentional on the front end to figure out why am I doing this training? Why am I having this meeting? Why do I have my business? And it forces you to really understand the why so that you can communicate that true meaning to millennials. And once they get that and they relate to that, they'll, they'll run after it with you. And that's a great point. As a matter of fact, it sounds like that would be great for the uh, for a couple of other generations as well. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Understanding yep. what happens. So interestingly enough, when you mentioned uh, transferable skills and um, and thinking through what companies need to do to recruit top talented millennials, um, interestingly enough, that is the yin and the yang of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you give a millennial perhaps transferable skills, and what keeps them where they are. Yeah. And, and so the what, what would keep them there from a company's perspective is there has to be something in it for them. Right. Correct? Can yeah. Can you kind of help us with that? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, you can look at it as a double-edged sword. I guess the way I look at it is you're going to experience turnover anyways. So why not have it be favorable turnover where you're promoting people or they're going on to bigger, better things, and then when you're going out there and recruiting, you now have a track record of success. Got it. And you can say – hey, new millennial that's wanting to come into our organization, look what we've done with these other people, and we have an extensive leadership development program that teaches you certain things that will help you to grow as an individual. And I think you'll get more productivity. You'll, get, you'll just get more bang for your buck, if, if I can say that, um, out of these millennials if, you, if you're more intentional on that side of it. So millennials do tend to use social media quite a bit. Yes. And if they're in social media and they have a great experience with company X, mm-hmm. even though they get the transferable skills to move to company Y, they will still speak favorably of company X. Yep. Which Absolutely. will then allow other millennials to come in behind them. You got it, Alvin. You mm-hmm. got it. Spot on. Yeah. It's, we are. We're living in a very transparent culture. So that's one of the best things you can do for recruiting is kind of indirectly serving your current employees you know, to where if they're excited about something or, or whatever, they are going to be vocal about it. And if you if you if if you bring in a millennial and you blow out your first one day first day orientation with that individual, mm-hmm. make them really feel at home, get the warm fuzzies going, and just have your culture just really lively. And and that day, it's going to kind of capture that millennial by surprise. And you'd be surprised at how many people will go out and find their friends and bring them in the next day and say. Do you have spots for these guys? So it's it's an interesting phenomenon, but I think at the at the at the crux of it, it if you just pouring and putting value into people, it'll it'll help you in the long run. So uh, another question I had really is how does um, programs like ours, the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, what do we need to do differently, perhaps, to even consider getting more millennials into our program? Knowing that we're, we're looking at, you know, an average age of 39, certainly mm-hmm. a little bit older than millennials are today, but yeah. what, should, what should education be doing to really focus on getting in front of the wave, knowing that all of these millennials will be coming into the workplace, mm-hmm. they're there now, they're making a difference, but they will be rotating back, wanting more education to prepare themselves for the next level. Right. Right. No, great question. And I'm a big believer in, in strengths and finding your, discovering and uncovering your strengths early and then just playing to those every day. And I think a lot of times where education misses the boat is that they don't, that, you know, you just get educated on everything. And it's sometimes, unless people get nudged to really focus on their strengths, they just kind of get good in a lot of different things. Um, so I think if you can dive more depth possibly into, into 
categories of certain strengths where people coming in go, wow, I didn't know that was an option, but I really have a passion in that area, and you guys have an extensive program. That might be a, a good value add. The other thing I would say is, and I'm sure you guys are doing this already, is just the diversity um, and high-caliber corporate um, entities that plug into that mm-hmm. to where you can kind of tote and say, hey, if you, KSU, look at all these organizations that are chomping at the bit for you guys, guys that are coming out of KSU. And <clears throat> and I think just keep it cutting edge. I mean, I'm surprised at how many different uh, educations don't have – uh, social media training, or they don't train on on different things that are cutting edge and relevant today. So somehow keeping it relevant. And then obviously, just if you're creating a brand online and using social media to create the brand of KSU, right. doesn't help or it doesn't hurt as well, well. And absolutely, and you're right. We are. Uh, we think we're ahead of the curve when I it comes so. to teaming leadership and coaching. No doubt about it. Yeah, and I. Um, yeah, you said uh, yeah, I was talking with someone else uh, a, couple, a year or two ago, and they said that there was um, a program just specifically on team building. Yeah, and um, and that blew me away, and I thought that's exactly that's going to be a huge, huge, huge asset and a huge trait to have moving forward. Because again, if you're in your strength zone, you know your strengths. Well, if you know other people that are st- strengths in where you're weak, to be able to build a team around that business or that project is way more efficient. So team building is a huge, huge um, asset to have. So and, and it is a transferable skill. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter where you are. Right. Uh, you can always make a difference. Yep. So when we think through um, what happens with the various, and, and well, let me back up a bit. Okay. Did you tell me that there were how many actual generations in the workplace today? Four. Four generations in the workplace. So with that happening, how does the leader, the person in the company or the one who's bringing these millennials in, how do they know to really resolve those generational conflicts that may come up between people sometimes? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I do because a lot of times they don't know. And, and it starts with awareness first. You've got to be aware of different tendencies and generations. And the second part is appreciation. You have to appreciate, you know, where the millennials came from. And a lot of people point to entitlement. And I try to kind of erode that, that thinking because where it came from was very different. And then entitlement can't be confused for confidence. So I would say, Alvin, the first and foremost is, is – Got to be aware of it, and I help organizations put together um, generational toolkits that kind of helps everyone kind of get on the same page. And then second is is appreciation. So you have to, you know, don't be judging other people from different generations, and, and it's all just a framework. It's a good launching pad. It's not a say-all, be-all, but it's a good starting point. So I think those would be some uh, some takeaways for folks that didn't know how to tackle that issue. Well, fantastic. What we do in the program is to be able to work with these folks and help them understand that there are differences in the workplace. Mm-hmm. How do you best communicate with uh, with individuals of all generations and what they're looking for and what are some of the takeaways they need to have in mm-hmm. order to feel fulfilled? Right. And with that in mind, those are the people in our program. But there's still a few people that are not in our program. So for those people, of course, they need to be looking at you. So how do those companies engage Ryan Jenkins? Yeah, if you just go to my website, uh, ryan-jenkins.com. Again, that's ryan-jenkins.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at at the Ryan Jenks. And uh, I've got all my information out there, and I'd love to connect. Now, the the, that is a capital the, right? (laughs) The the Ryan. I, you know what? I'm not happy with that handle, but I, it's kind of too late uh, to change at this point. But we're sticking with it. Well, Ryan, that's been fantastic. And uh, Leroy Carson, how do we contact you in case we need to get in touch with you? We're in the process of uh, upgrading my website right now, so um, 
in about two weeks, you can go out to www.successlookslikeme.com. That's www.successlookslikeme.com. Or you could email me at Leroy at LeroyCarsonJr.com. Fantastic. Well, uh, gentlemen, as we begin to close this edition of the show, um, Global Leaders Radio has taken on a whole new tact in terms of resources for our leadership community. And one question we ask everyone, uh, and we'll start with you, Ryan, which book has most impacted your leadership? I would say of late, I'm, I'm a, I just devour books. Um, obviously, John Maxwell's books, any of his leadership books are phenomenal. But I would say the one most recently that is, has kind of shifted my thinking is Seth Godin's Lynchpin. Great, great book. And his, his whole piece is how do, you, how do you become as an individual the linchpin of your team, the linchpin of your organization? And it's phenomenal, and it's, and it's really really challenges the reader to, to, to figure out why is it that I'm here? How can I be, how can I make myself uh, irreplaceable? And I think in the economy and where we're at today, that's a big, big deal. So is linchpin akin to a catalyst? Is, yeah, yeah, there you go. I think so. I think there's some connection so there. So we're tying it all yeah, in, yeah, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you. So, Leroy, on your side, which book has most impacted your leadership? Recently, The Innovator's Dilemma. I love that book. I recommend it probably twice a week. Um, it really has some good information about thinking beyond your boundaries. Well, I tell you, and that's a very thick book, isn't it? It's not a quick read. It's a quick enough read. If you, <laughs> it's an easy read, though. It's ah, an easy read. Very good. Well, I appreciate that. So, Lee? All right. Good stuff, Alvin. We will see you all next time on Global Leader Radio.